0: Welcome to another episode of the Making Sense of Islam podcast. This podcast is one small part of a larger platform I've created dedicated to offering reflections on Islam, life, and mindfulness. I encourage you to visit makingsenseofislam.com to find a wide selection of articles, videos, other podcast episodes, and most importantly courses designed to distill the complexities of Islam's intellectual heritage into usable and practical tactics and strategies for day-to-day life. I'm also active on Making Sense of Islam's social media accounts, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn, where you will learn about what's new and what's in the works. That's it for now. Enjoy the show. My guest today is Rabia Shadri. Rabia is an attorney, advocate, and author of the New York Times best-selling book, Adnan's Story, and executive producer of a four-part HBO documentary, The Case Against Adnan Sayed. Rabia is also co-producer and co-host of two podcasts, Undisclosed, and the new podcast The Hidden Jinn, which actually just launched shortly after we recorded this interview. Rabia was a 2016 Jennings Randolph Senior Fellow at the U.S. Institute of Peace where she researched the intersection of religion and violent extremism in Pakistan and Sri Lanka. She came to USIP from the New America Foundation, where she was an International Security Fellow developing and leading CVE, which stands for Countering Violent and Extremism, community project in partnership with Google, Facebook, and Twitter. Her work at New America focused on the empowerment of American Muslim communities in social media advocacy. Rabia received her Juris Doctorate from the George Mason School of Law, and practice immigration and civil rights law for over a decade before moving into the CVE policy sphere. I think it goes without saying that Rabia is very well known. No bio that I read or put together will do it justice. But I did want to say a couple of personal remarks before you listen to this conversation. Rabia is somebody that I've looked up to for a long time now. Uh, she has done a lot for our community. Uh, she has uh, taken a lot uh, of flack for a lot of the work that she does for our community and she's always, I feel, uh, dealt with that uh, with grace and poise uh, and perseverance. So that is one of the reasons why I look, look up to her. I'm glad to call her a friend. And also on a smaller note, I do want to apologize. I was... Something happened with my mic during the recording. I'm not exactly sure. My voice is a little muffled. Of course, Rabia is a pro at this. Her voice comes across as pristine. So I wanted to apologize to all of you uh, for that. I promise in the future to to pay better attention to the equipment before I hit record. However, I hope that you will forgive me because this was a really, really important conversation. Uh, It's it's only about an hour long, but we covered a lot of ground and uh, her feedback uh, answers to my questions uh, are just you know excellent uh, truly excellent responses i'm very happy that she gave me the time thank you rabia for that without further ado please enjoy this first conversation with none other than rabia chaudri rabia welcome to the show
1: hi thanks for having me
0: thank, so you, like for, you. Salam thank you for making the time so uh, out of respect for your time, let me just jump right in. And I want to ask you know, the question that I think a lot of us want to ask that are, I would say, relatively informed, but not as informed as you. Where are we in uh, Adnan's case? I know that there was unfortunately some recent setback, uh, but because of a lot of the legal language, I personally am a little confused as exactly where that leaves us and wh- what is the path forward.
1: Yeah, it is. It's confusing for a lot of people because um, over the last at least five, six years that folks have been following the story, they keep hearing, oh, it's in appeals and it's in appeals. So essentially how it works, how the appellate process work is um, you raise issues for appeal and and it starts at the lower courts. Right. So it's like it starts like in the circuit court at the trial level at the trial court. And then whoever loses will appeal it to the next higher court. And then they will appeal, whoever loses will appeal that to the next higher court. And so essentially for years and years, you have the same issues being heard and and decided by different courts um, until you reach your highest court, which is the U.S. Supreme Court, which is what happened this past fall um, we and, and the U.S. Supreme Court is a very long shot, but basically we lost a year ago in the, the Supreme Court of Maryland, which is where we had our highest hopes. And we lost this by one judge. It was the votes were three judges to four. Um, and so what that meant was that he up until then, the other courts had decided that Adnan deserves a new trial. And uh, the highest court of Maryland, called the Court of Appeals, decided by one vote that he does not deserve a new trial. And so what that means is that those those issues the same issues that we've been raising over all these years like we're kind of we're they're gone we're done like we cannot raise them again so what you can do though is you can find new issues and you can start all over and that's where we what we're having to do it's very frustrating there are other issues that we never raised in court before because once you can't keep adding issues um so imagine it's like this is one path once you're on the path you got to go until the end <laughs> you cannot uh, pick up anything along the way, and then when you hit the end of that path, you got to start on a new path. And so, we have um, expanded our legal team. Uh, we have a new investigator, and just today, in fact, I, this morning, I spoke to one of the investigators as well. So there's a lot of work being done, um, basically to 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 um, develop a new a new path for Adnan, a new appeal with new issues. And once we do that, we'll be back at the bottom level of the the court structure again, in circuit court. And the frustrating part is we can win again like we did before and the state can appeal it again. So it could take years again.
0: And for people that want to support uh, financially uh, the the process, uh, where can they go to do that? What do you recommend?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, all these years we have had to pay, you know, Adnan's legal fees are not paid by the state. They're, they're private attorneys who we have to pay. And we've been able to only do that by the support of all the folks um, listening and, and donating. Otherwise, there's no way that we could have, the family could have done it or any of us could have raised this amount of money. But uh, we have a um, an ongoing site at LaunchGood. So it's launchgood.com slash free Adnan. And, and and there you can donate any amount you want, $10, $100, five, whatever you want to. Um, and then I have something called a Patreon, which is like a monthly, like a person can pledge $1 a month, $3 a month, 5 whatever. And on the Patreon, what I do is once you've signed up for that, um, I'll do updates maybe once or twice a month. And so they'll, or maybe sometimes well, I've done a conversation with Adnan and put it on there or I've written something. So it's like a little bonus content people get about the case. Um, for as little as like a dollar a month, let's say and so to find that is patreon.com slash freeadnon. Adnan um, so.
0: right, I'll include those in, in the episode notes. Now. I know that there, there you you have There there are some certain, there are certain personalities on the state side that you know for lack of a better word are just not, not our friends uh, in this in this uh, cause and you know, I have seen that. I mean, I'm not a legal expert like you, but I have seen that not just in this case, but other cases that I've been interested in following, or I've been, you know, very, very remotely involved in. And I wanted to know, you know, what's that like to to have an adversary that's just so in your face, so uh, bigoted, biased. Uh, you know, you have been extremely vocal uh, about some of these people. Rightfully so. I'm I'm not criticizing you. I'm just saying you have been in the the midst of that. You yourself have been the subject of great attacks. I just want to know a little bit about what's that like uh, personally for you.
1: Um, You know, it's frustrating in a way, but it's basic. It's emblematic of the system, and you know, the system protects itself. And when you find prosecutors fighting tooth and nail, tooth and nail, tooth and nail to keep a conviction or an arrest, um, it's actually not that unusual. Like. It feels personal and it is personal. It Believe me, for these prosecutors who decide that I'm going to spend 10 years prosecuting this person or 20 years, uh, I'm going to do it pro bono, I'm going to do it no matter what, um, it becomes a matter of like personal pride for them. Um, and this is, it's not surprising, but it's very disheartening because it's a sickness in the system. Instead of stepping back and saying... What we have to do is look at the body of facts and evidence that have emerged since this young man was convicted Or this whoever the defendant is convicted Has anything happened in these years that would make a prosecutor stop and say something went wrong here, but they won't do that So what they'll do is they'll say well, no in 1999 This was the evidence and we believe in the veracity evidence even if so many things happened after that um, and so there i'm not surprised now in this particular case we have through vignaraja who you know has come as a shock now i have to say this i am he had he won he won the final appeal again by one vote but um this is a man who was deputy state's attorney general um he has other scandals attached to him he's a very problematic person in general he was eventually asked to leave the state's attorneys the Att- attorney general's office and he did but he volunteer to continue to prosecute Adnan as a private attorney. And that's like almost unheard of. But we did not know at the time it's because he had political ambitions. So then he went on to run for state's attorney of Baltimore, um, which is basically the district attorney. Then he went went on to run for the mayor of Baltimore. So he had these political aspirations that he thought by prosecuting Adnan's case would really raise his profile. And I think it ended up make, making him really hated instead. <laughs> um, but this is not unusual. You know, there's a case that I encourage my, uh, or encourage your listeners to, to listen to, or, or to read up on called the Curtis Flowers case uh, out of Mississippi. And this prosecutor in the Curtis Flowers case prosecuted the same man, Curtis Flowers, six times. He took him to trial six times over the course of like 25 years. He wouldn't let it go um so you do see it a lot
0: so so this is not just the stuff of drama this is real life this happens this yeah. is uh, you know our broken system
1: yeah it is it's very broken
0: and, and you have dedicated a huge amounts of time of your life not just to the adnan's case but to this subject matter in general correct
1: yeah I mean at this point it is kind of the you know my prac, my own legal practice never uh, centered around this but um in the last 5 6 years I I would have to say I now consider myself a, a, an innocence attorney yeah this is the bulk of my work now doing innocence work
0: and how many cases right now are you handling we,
1: well what what you say of? you yeah I have a team so there's three of us um myself and two other attorneys who work on these cases together and then we investigate we work with the defendants and their lawyers and we get them back into court um we've done 22 cases in five years and we've had eight we have eight defendants who are now home
0: alhamdulillah oh really MashaAllah, eight
1: yeah
0: so that must be uh, a tremendous feeling to counterbalance all that other you know stuff you gotta put up with
1: i mean it's incredible you know in almost every one of these cases when you show up um for the defendant and their families it's like for 20 years, maybe, or 30 years, they've been trying to get somebody's attention. They don't have the money. The work that we end up doing for these defendants, we spend a year or two doing uh, investigative work and legal work for them, maybe is worth half a million dollars, a million. And we don't, you know, it's done completely pro bono for them. So for the families, it's um, it's beyond their hope that they could have gotten this kind of assistance. And But uh, the flip side of that, coin is that we, we're so happy to be able to give them hope. The flip side of the coin is sometimes um, hope is very dangerous and uh, things don't work out and you don't always win. So, you know, fine, eight of our defendants are home, but that means, um, you know, 14, we are are still in prison and deserve to be home, but we're still working on it, but it we can't promise, we can't guarantee anything. So.
0: So for you personally, uh, Rabia, do you have any any like religious um mottos is it like a hadith or a verse or a concept from our faith tradition that helps buttress the work that you're doing or, or did you sort of, sort of just like one thing led to another and you found yourself doing this this work
1: no i mean for me it certainly one thing did lead to another but i don't believe in coincidences and one you know growing up my mother um she, it was like a drill, like constantly, she would constantly say to me and my siblings um, that your education, your skills, your knowledge, um, like these are all tests for you. Like you're going to, when you die, God's going to ask you, what did you do with this stuff? Like, what did you do? Did you just earn a living for yourself? Is that it? Anybody can do that. Um, and so she always made it, she she made us feel a very heavy sense of responsibility a civic responsibility and responsibility of human beings, because at the end of the day, um, these, are na- these are blessings that we're supposed to use um, to help other people. So that's always like something that's just kind of like existed in my head. Like, what do I do with what, what I can do? But in terms of this, I will say this, you know, even before Serial and advanced case, and I started working in this field, I've done a lot of activism and advocacy and stuff. And most, mo- many people burn out in that space because it's, it can take decades. Sometimes people die and would see no result of their labor. Um, but the, the hadith that gets me, keeps me moving forward, is the one that, you know, the one about, um, even if the trumpet for the day of judgment blows, you could finish planting your seed. Mm-hmm. So you, it's our job to do the work. It's our job to do the work. It's, it's successes from Allah. Whether or not that comes, that's not in our hands. To many, But, but it's, it is in our hands. It's our responsibility to do the work. And so we can't expect results without doing the work, and so that's how I see it. You just put one foot in front of the other. And, and you then-
0: mentioned you mentioned serial uh, undisclosed uh, me myself, like millions of others, you know I, I was captivated I mean literally I would look forward to getting in the car to drive long distances so <laughs> I could continue like an episode. Listen <clears throat> Goosebumps, you know, hair standing. And, and that's what helped me, you know, a few years later feel like, you know, I want to jump into the podcast space as well. Um, and now you're doing Undisclosed. I mean, what, what is that like from a process point of view? How much time does that take? I know that Serial, you were sort of, you know, uh, uh, like a passenger. But with Undisclosed, you know, it seems that you're very much directing everything. And, and how much time does that take from you content-wise, editing? How many people are involved? You know, just like a little bit behind the scenes.
1: So you know, when Serial ended, um, a lot of people, most people who are listening, were like, "Now what?" <laughs> you know, they, it felt very. Oh yeah. You know, like like there there was no kind of conclusion, but also, we had
0: withdrawal. No, we had withdrawal. Seriously, oh, like yeah. we, we need more.
1: You know, I'll be honest. I wish I could have experienced Serial the way others did. It was a horribly stressful, terrible, terrible time for me. And in all these years, I have not been able to go back and listen again. Like it's, it was traumatic. <laughs> um no and i hope one day i can listen to it i because i want to be able to enjoy it like people did but at the time it was not enjoyable um the other thing is so as somebody who is obviously deeply connected to the case and understands everything that happened and was there um there were so many things in serial that i was like well that's not right but you you didn't you didn't you know like they, they they fell short on things and i and i understand that because that's not they're not criminal defense attorneys or investigators and that's fine um so I was writing all these blogs, uh, blog posts, and there were these other two attorneys who were writing heavily about the evidence. And so those are the two attorneys, Susan and Colin, that I ended up linking up with. And when Serial ended, uh, a good friend of mine, Shahid Amanullah, a lot of people are familiar with him. Uh, He's the founder of Zabiha.com and, you know, very well-known Muslim entrepreneur, was like, Rabia, people want to know more information about this case. You have to start out your own podcast and give them that information. And I thought, I can't do that. Like none of us know how to do that. Um, but we just jumped in and started like recording from our closets. It was terrible at the beginning, but we had tens of millions of people listening because they thought it was going to be like cereal and it wasn't. But anyhow, it's fi- uh, five years on now. The first year we did um, Undisclosed, it was just, it was only going to be Adnan's case. We were going to do Adnan's case and be done. And we, we made money from it because we got advertisers who approached us. We didn't have any intention of that. And all the money that we made, I think we, I don't know, it was like five or $600,000 from advertising. We put into Adnan's legal defense fund, which was great. So we were all volunteering. And then after that, all these other um, defendants and attorneys and innocence projects asked us for help. And then we thought, okay, then if we're gonna do this, then we have to do it properly. We organized an LLC. We hired um, an executive producer and editors. And that's why we sound so much better today than we did (laughs) five years ago. And so it's been really, it's, so there's a business model behind it that allows us to dedicate um, hundreds of hours. I mean, we typically put in one, I'd say 18 months to sometimes up to three years before we report a case of, you know, it takes that much lead time to investigate uh, a case. So every episode of Undisclosed has taken hundreds of hours to produce.
0: Uh, I mean, it shows, but one of the things I wanted to go back to those you said in the beginning, we didn't sound good and then we sound good, etc. I mean, I think that it also speaks to the quality of your content. I think a lot of us don't really care or, or didn't really care about that aspect. I mean, of course, serial is, you know, if anyone thinks that that's what a podcast is, you know, you're, not, <laughs> you're delusional. That's, you know, that's a very professional uh, outfit. Enough
1: it's a piece of art yeah
0: <laughs> but but it's i think for me it's the content I, I mean when i listen to serial and then i listen to undisclosed it's it's i i trust this content because you're behind it that's that's what's in my mind and i think i speak for a lot of people it's like okay if Rabia is putting something together that means it's important you need to listen uh, she's done her homework um and look i know that there are aspects of serial that were disappointing especially uh, their personal comments towards the end. I think it might have even been one of the last episodes where they're like, yeah, you know, probably Adnan did it, you know, but you know, the trial was unfair. You know, that's, it It, it sucks to hear that. But I think that that even gives the, his case even more uh, strength because in, in the American legal system, it's not really, a, it's not just about that. Even though we also, we all believe is innocent. It's, it's really about the process. Yeah. And, and how the, the unfair process, I mean, I know you, you might cringe at me saying all of this because you're like, no, damn it. You know, I, it's there's so much more that was that was wrong. But
1: the problem is, you know, for somebody like me or Adnan or his family, we're so we're too close to this process. And the reason that was harsh to listen to was not because to us, these are like if it was like any random journalist it would be different. But these are people who have created relationships with us. These are people who go and visit Adnan, speak to him constantly, who say, "I'm your friend." Sarah Kana came to me the week before. I that the last clip, uh, the last episode. I think there's a clip of my voice in there. I don't know, but uh, she sat with me for an hour um, the week before the last episode, and I said, "Sarah, I need. I just I need to know, like, where are you on this?" And she said, "In my heart," she said to me, "to my face, in my heart, I believe he's innocent." And so when I walked away from that meeting, I thought. that's what she's going to say in the final episode, and so the fact that that's not what was said, and for somebody like Adnan, who's like, well, how am I, spo- am I supposed to like? What kind is this a really like? What kind of friendship? How do I have a relationship with this person who is saying one thing to me personally but saying something else on the air? So that that was a whole another layer of like the personal complications and relationships mm. because. The other thing is, you know, the the serial team wanted to continue the relationship because they want to continue to follow the story But obviously after that it was it, it was hurtful. It hurt the family. It hurt Adnan It hurt me a lot because I had told Adnan his family and Sarah Koenig before she even began investigating spoke to Adnan's old attorney and said um I would not be doing this case I, unless I thought he was innocent. So I said to Adnan, I said, I will need you to trust her. She believes her innocent. Let her do the work. And so the whole family kind of trusted my judgment there and I felt um, let down. Um, I, I felt like I let them down because of that. Having said that, serial. We could not be anywhere close to where we are without cereal, obviously. So, you know, you, you, it was it was you, a, an incredibly important, useful, vile device to get us to this point, to get us closer to the truth, closer to Adnan home. Um, so,
0: I, I want to come back to this idea of of backstabbing and and treachery in a minute, but but I want to say something. You, you just reminded me of something important because of a lot of the business work. That I do, unfortunately, I, I have to deal with a lot of lawyers. Uh, no, no offense, Rabia. <laughs> but I mean, more, more than I ever thought in my entire life I would deal with. And the one thing that I do feel is that whenever I've found a lawyer that actually really genuinely believes in me as a person, right. uh, I've always persevered. I've always won. Um, if I'm under attack, I've, I've won. If I'm trying to get something done, I've done it successfully. And oftentimes, those are not your... What, have, what is the term, white glove lawyer? Or, or, right. or You know what I'm talking about, those terms. Yeah. Uh, even though I've had those types of lawyers and, and law firms, and those were, were, were not good experiences at all. So I, I, I think that's important. You, know, you need to believe in what you're doing. I believe 100% that you believe 100% in what you're doing. So when you tell me something or you, you're putting out content I believe it, I trust it. For me, that's, you're like a standard in, in, in these issues. Uh, and I think that, you know, I think that's what the prophet meant peace be upon him when he said you know, religion is sincerity. And if you're not sincere with yourself and, and those around you, you know, you're just like a phony person. So yeah. I, I did not know that. Thank you for sharing that story. I mean, now, now I'm, now I'm upset. <laughs> now, I'm, now I kind of want to go back and, and listen to it. But you mentioned the backstabbing thing. I mean, look, I don't want to revisit these issues, but uh, you know, this podcast for me is is very personal. Uh, I do this primarily for me. Uh, I do, like you, most of the recording in my house. So I feel like you're a guest. I've invited you over. Uh, and I want to spend this time with you. And which also means that there's a lot of people that I really don't want to spend time with. And that's why I probably would not invite them. But I say that to to as like a segue into the following. You have been, uh, you know, my God, a lightning rod, you know, of of criticism that people have have atta- have, said, have said the most vile things about you.
1: Yeah. Uh, not
0: just for this for Adnan and and these cases, but whether it's comments or activities revol- revolving CVE or whether it was the uh, uh, MLI Pir- MLI, you know, the Palestine Israel thing. So I don't want to relive those because you know that's out there and it is what it is. Uh, in, in a very minor way, I've also been a little bit attacked. Uh, nothing even in comparison to you. So wh- why I bring all of this up is I want to ask you, Rich, very personally: is how do you deal with all of that? Uh, I mean, I cringe at the things people say to you and about you. Um, I'm, I'm I'm assuming you have a lot of battle scars and, and now you have thick skin, but it's got to get to you at some level. Uh, does it? Does it not? How do you deal with
1: it? Oh yeah. I mean, it's, you know, w- I well before obviously serial or MLI or, and even doing my work in CVE and um, I mean, for years, uh, you know, over a decade I had been doing, since nine, you know, when 9-11 happened, I was, um, in law school. I was, I was right. I was right about to graduate from law school. And, uh, I never, since 9-11 happened, I never, since the moment I got a law out of law school ever practiced in a sense where I was like, I could have been like, I actually did an internship in a corporate, corporate setting thinking I'm just going to be a corporate lawyer and make lots of money. Um, and, but the minute that 9-11 happened, I realized I can't do that. Like my community needs me. Um, and so I threw myself into doing um, you know, community oriented work. And so having put in all that time, effort, energy, written about it, written about civil rights issues and Muslim issues for years, it was really uh, horrific and shocking to me um, to see the attacks, but not just towards me, but also others in like, for example, in the MLI cohort, people again, who like me had put in, Combined maybe one hundred fifty years' worth of community work, chaplains, Theyba Taylor, you know an incredible uh, black Muslim who had founded the first um, uh, magazine for black Muslim women in this country. You know she was not just part of my cohort, she was my roommate during this trip, and we all entered this program with complete sincerity, um, sincerity for what we know is right and wrong, and we 've always stood by it. Um, and also same reason I entered doing CVE work because I thought I saw the other side of it I saw what it was doing to the community and I thought Muslims have to be in this space to help guide it and um, so to see that just suddenly um, to see everything you've done um, turned around and um, And that you're maligned for it. Your intentions were maligned for it 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 was shocking and i'll tell you that to this day people say things people have said to me just 2 days ago 2 days ago a very prominent um pundit who's on msnbc and cnn and all the time she said to me you know rabia people have told me that your success is 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 because of your zionist connections <laughs> uh or you your your book and i said i've been like oh I'm my a- god yeah, a, a non thing happened in nineteen ninety nine. Like you really think I've been building towards this? Like it's mind blowing to me. Um, but what I I've had very I've had highs and lows. Um, I I was physically sick for maybe a good part of a year when a lot of it started happening. The thing is, the MLI thing and cereal happened in this, at the exact same time. So that year was hell for me. It was so bad, and I was actually physically very sick. Um, And I just withdrew for a long time from the community. The community wanted to boycott me and I, and they did. And and I withdrew myself. It took a couple of years before I said, I can't, like, I'm still concerned about community issues. You might've boycotted me. I can't boycott, like, I can't withdraw myself from my people um, and my mosques and the issues I care about. And that's when I kind of reemerged into the space and meant um, I started showing up again at events. I started writing every so often about the issues um it's ups and downs I still get attacked all the time just a couple of like a week ago I again like a group of four or five just they're just kids I think on Twitter I think of them as kids because they're in their early 20s my daughter's age um were attacking me and I just muted them and moved on with my day sometimes I'll engage because I'm like maybe they really want to have a conversation and then sometimes I just can't deal with it and I lash out. <laughs> you have good and bad days. Um, but mostly what I realized is this what, they, what, what many people who, for those who have been committed to attacking me and others over the years, like you, they, they do it again and again, they have very prominent profiles. I realize the purpose of those attacks is to get us to stop doing our work, is to make us obscure, is to push us into like dark corners when nobody hears from us again. Um, and so I'm gonna make sure that doesn't happen. I'm going to keep doing my work i'm going to keep doing what i believe in i'm going to check my intention with allah um and i'm just going to keep doing my work i mean at the end of the day like when you have people i remember writing adnan a letter one time um because he would get letters from supporters but he would always get let, also get letters from people after serial happened people who don't know him at all saying you're a killer you're this and that it was really It killed it. It was so painful for him because he realized he's like I didn't have to open myself up to the world like this and he did um And I wrote him a letter and I said, you know There are people who take the words of allah They take the quran and they build their careers on twisting every word of allah. They build their careers on attacking muslims and islam by By twisting the words of god. So if the words of god can be twisted if if the actions of our prophet can be twisted by people who hate you or hate the deen then who are we like, you know, we're, we, it's, yeah, who are we? So we just got to do your work.
0: So I, I, I know of, of other people who have been attacked like you and, and out of respect for their privacy. I, I don't want to mention their names, but they've, they've confided to me that it's gotten to the point where they'll receive death threats. Sure. Um, yeah. And th- have, has it, has it been that bad for you?
1: We got, um, I got death threats. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I've gotten death threats. I got death threats that I mostly um, kind of, ignored. But then one time a few years ago, uh, I got something that was serious enough that I had to report to the FBI Because, or I think we reported to the FBI. We just sent them. There were emails that were sent to, to me, to my colleagues, to my husband, to our personal email addresses, which most people don't know them, um, in which they had information about like my children, um, which they should not have known. Oh, wow. And so it was, um, it was more serious than somebody tweeting, you know, drop dead, uh, you Zionist or whatever. Um, so that we had to do, but, um, yeah, it's happened. It's happened. You know, I, I, Alhamdulillah, we're, we're okay. I, I don't, you know, I know people get angry and, uh, sometimes say things, but, well, I, I, let me
0: tell you, I mean, first of all, I, I hope and pray, you know, inshallah, you and your family uh, always remain safe. Uh, and on a personal level, if there's anything I can do or, you know, me, my, my family, please let us know. Thank you. Uh, but one of the things that upsets me, other than I'm personally upset because I consider you a friend and that hurts me, but I'm upset that our community is like this. So what the hell is wrong with us uh, this this outrage um uh, people commenting uh, recommenting posting reposting without even reading uh, making up these broad claims that are unsubstantiated uh, you know we are the people of substantiation you know we are the people of let's verify the hadith let's verify the quran and you know the way we were taught was you know you got to know everything about the subject matter before you comment. I mean, that's the way I was taught. And then I see this this stuff online. I'm like, oh my God. I mean, you know, give her some space to just talk and answer and this and that. And they're like, let's cancel, let's boycott. That's what I'm concerned about. I'm concerned about that the English-speaking Muslim world is, is headed down a very bad path.
1: Yeah, I think this is, I, I think one of the most... Um one of the most heartbreaking things that I've um, witnessed in the last few years, there are times when um, there has to be accountability from the people we take our dean from, especially, I I believe that, you know, especially when there are actual crimes taking place, when there's domestic violence, when there are certain certain boundaries that cannot be crossed. Um, But what we've seen beyond that is, this segment of our community and mostly they're very young activists who i would say have a very who think in a very secular framework whether or not i mean they might you might look at them and say okay well you know she's dressed a certain way he's got a beard but that's not how they're they're not thinking in the way that their that their identity might look they are their framework is a very secular left lefty type of framework so um They might have the best intention but combined with kind of like the I guess the excitement of being young um, They have maligned I would say, you know scholars in our community From for just for like faux pas right for like they've tried to cancel like, you know The people who've been teaching us our deen for decades who decades decades 40 50 years uh, for something they said that didn't align with their social justice uh, vision, right? Or um, is was not exactly 100% politically correct. And those are the things that really break my heart. And, and also seeing that that is the faction that has kind of taken over our institutions, our Muslim organizations, or the not Iqna. So you have the scholars on one end uh, who know the deen, but then you have the activists on the other end. And the activists have really pulled a lot of the community to the left. Um, and I don't mean that in a political sense, but they've pulled the community, I think, away from approaching things from uh, an Islamic uh, approach methodology to uh, a progressive secular activist approach. And I think this is problematic. I mean, when you're canceling people like, I'm sorry about Hamza Yusuf, and, I, and Sheikh Hamza is a human being, you know, he's, he'll say things that are maybe not 100% right, but that's his experience, you know, but don't don't challenge his sincerity, right don't malign his character um those are the things that I find really hard that are to take um and are just really unfortunate, and I think we're going to lose that bottle, I think we're losing that bottle, so
0: meaning that that uh, a more what's the right word like scholarly or um traditionally grounded approach will lose and it'll just become activism and the here and now and uh, that's it is that what you mean
1: I I I, yeah I think that's where we're headed I mean I was in a I was um I went to a retreat a few years ago I think three years ago and I'm not going to name who the scholar was um at the retreat but we were where he was giving you know a talk and um, you know, many of the people there were, it was like a two or three day retreat. Many of the people there were like young people. And um, w- we opened up like the Q and A um, and a couple of young girls, I would say they're college age, maybe type students asked him, you know, how are we supposed to as Muslims understand like the kinds of um, horrible things that our Muslims are dealing with like in Syria? Like how are we supposed to understand what what is Allah's purpose here? Like how are we supposed to understand that suffering? And the scholar opened up with, he said, "You know, I'm going to say something that's going to be hard to understand, but I want you to hear this whole thing." And he began talking about how um, there that Muslim, and I don't know if it's going on for these. I'm not a scholar, but he said basically, like you know, that Muslims have to first that everything we do, everything that comes to us, is somehow of our own hands, and we have to first under figure out what is our responsibility in all of this. What did we? And the immediate response before he could move beyond that. <laughs> from this, from the young girls was, um, are you victim-blaming? You're victim-blaming. You can't, you know, and oh, wow. completely shut him down. And he couldn't even get to like any of the esoteric or spiritual or like historic aspects of what he was trying to explain. Uh, they just shut him down. And I was like, oh man, oh boy. And so the language they're using, you know, uh, is in, you know where the language is from, it's fine. It, there's an appropriate place for it. But I feel like we've really, uh, a lot of a lot of the stuff is getting a lot of the dean is getting pushed out of the community.
0: Well, my concern is that that stuff. I mean, I, I maybe unfortunately agree with you, even though I don't want to, uh, that we are losing that battle. Uh, and if if success in that battle is by being the most current, uh, the most immediate, uh, by definition, you know, we will lose. Um, there's a, a great book by. Um, the author escapes me, but the clock of the long now, uh, Stuart something, and they they're like creating like this like clock that's going to measure measure civilization in ten thousand year time, whatever. But it, I mean it's a little esoteric. But the point is, one of the things he says in the book is it's like there are different parts of our world that move at different speeds, and religion is one of the things that moves the slowest because it it retains, it retains ethics and morals and stories. It's not like fashion, fashion is gonna, you know, what's fashionable this month won't be fashionable next month. And I think a lot of what these people wanna do is, is make religion like that, like immediate. So if, if that's the definition of success, we will lose. But the problem is as a community leader, uh, I see on the long run that that's bereft of any, um, any spirituality. So these people, like you said, you said burned out. You know, People get burned out really, really quickly and might even leave Islam altogether uh, right. because of that way of thinking. And, and I deal on the other end, You know, I'm not like on Twitter the way you are and dealing with these issues and the lightning rod, but I deal with those people after they're burned out and when their families come and they're concerned uh, and you know, they give up because they put all their hope in something that they realize is, is not soundly built in the first place. Right. So maybe, maybe we lose today, but maybe tomorrow we'll win. I don't know. Maybe that's one way of looking at it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, one thing I do think happens and happens, I mean, I think a lot of us have experienced this, is that these same young activists will grow up (laughs) and maybe they'll get some real life experience. They'll get married, they'll have children, they'll mature. Um, Many of them, and I I think this is really unfortunate too, like I see a lot of... um, activists who have opinions on issues where maybe all they've ever done is have opinion on issues. They've never actually worked in the real world. They haven't worked on issues in in a real setting. They've never done the on the ground stuff and they just don't have some of the life experience that um, others have, good and bad. You have to have the bad life experiences too, the divorces and the this and the that. Um, losing people you love, um, having miscarriages i mean there 's so many life experiences you go through as you get older that teach you lessons that maybe when you 're younger you don 't have, and so maybe time itself will do it but um, but yeah, the lack of spirituality i, I don 't I don't know i, I don 't have you know that 's why you know I think a lot of us and, there, and so many things have kind of come together at the same time too the unmasking kind of phenomenon too. Uh, social media—it's—it's it's hard. It's—it's—it's it's, it's very hard to find your religious footing, your spiritual footing nowadays. I think, and I worry for my kids more than myself.
0: I mean, the only problem with what you just said, Rabia, is that unfortunately a lot of the, these people are professors and adults, not not just the teenagers on Twitter. So
1: you are right. There are some. There are some. You're right. There are some. And for those folks, I think I don't. I don't even question. I don't question their sincerity either. I think. But but when you have invested a lifetime um, on X, it's too hard to break out and say maybe maybe there's Y too. Maybe it's not just X. Maybe there's other possibilities.
0: So, yeah, your, your nefs is too involved. You've you've invested it too much. You know and made a name for yourself and have become verified and, and standard and yeah. So I I I feel for my kids as well. Um, you know, I always feel like maybe there's a cave somewhere we should just all like migrate to but you know And then I come to my senses and realize well, that's not going to be any better They'll just resent us for doing that So, you know, we just do the best that we can uh, Look, Rabia, I know do you mind if I ask you a couple more like specific questions or do you, yes, do you need to? Okay, so I, I want to maybe just bring things back to a little bit something a little bit more concrete and I ask purely out of again selfishness and my own need um, I remember one summer I was away. I came back and I found waiting for me this beautiful Amazon box with your, uh, with your now New York Times best best uh, sold book, Adnan's story. And I wanted to ask you two questions about that because I know recently I saw a thread where you commented on publishing, uh, particularly from, for minorities. Right. And you know this is like, mashallah, the, the, the big mashallah, right? The big pie in the sky to be on the New York Times bestsellers list. Right. But can you give us a little sneak peek on what that really means, um, it might not be everything that it that it means that we think it means.
1: Yeah. So you know, um, first of all, it's people. It's there's a very specific. Uh, being on the New York Times bestseller list does not mean you have a quality book. Remember, there are books like uh, Fifty Shades of Grey and Twilight <laughs> that were on it. <honest. laughs> It is simply a function of how many copies are sold, and if you are able to make five thousand pre-sales before the book's published, you're automatically on the New York Times bestseller list. So while that is, it's wonderful. I'm able to say that and do that. Um, if you are good at the marketing aspect of it, you should be able to achieve that. Anyhow, what was more important to me was the, were, were the critical reviews from Kirkus and Publishers Weekly and others that were that were excellent. But um, but the, what people think is that I know what people think and I and I understand this because I thought the same thing that if you have A book that's on new york times list and then it becomes like this HBO documentary like you're just rolling in millions of dollars It is completely untrue. Um, because As we discovered from this twitter thread and i'm so thankful to the women who started it. What they did was, um, I think it was a couple of months ago now, I don't remember. They said, you know, let's be honest about how people get paid in publishing uh, and how people of color get paid so much less. And women, of course, get paid less too. And so let's share what we what we actually made. Now you would think a book like a non-story which is coming hot on the heels of the most popular podcast ever i mean they have like 800 million downloads okay it was a would maybe at least at a minimum get a seven figure contract it didn't we barely we barely got a six-figure pod. we barely broke a hundred thousand dollars um on that contract and then Um, So that's $100,000, right? Like you're gonna, that's your contract. Um, That's what you get paid to write the book. Then you have agent's fees and you have taxes. And I um, had... Put, um, half of that I was going to put into his legal fund the other half I needed to live on because I couldn't work in the six months that I was writing the book um, At the end of the day, I got like thirty thousand dollars and Adan got thirty thousand um, dollars in his legal fund Wow, that's not a living. I mean, that's a fraction of my regular salary right for like a, a six months worth of work And but it was a labor of love and so people think and then when it was sold to be produced uh, that selling it got even less and 100% of that money was put into Adnan's account. You mean so,
0: selling it to HBO?
1: Selling, right. Selling it to be produced into the series. Um, the life, like they, they bought the book for like $75,000. It's piddling because after taxes, after agents' fees, you're talking about maybe $45,000. That goes to Adnan's. So people are thinking Adnan's making millions or I'm making, somebody's making millions. Nobody but HBO maybe made millions. Um, but what shocking from that thread was was that there were pe- like people. This one woman, uh, who she said, she had never written a book before. She wrote an article that went viral about basically marriage and dating, and she got a four hundred thousand dollar book deal. So I bought the book to read it to see what, and it was a hundred and seventy page book, and it was a terrible book. And it, she actually admitted that she never made the money back for the publishers. But she was a white woman who had a different profile, and so. The disparity between writers of color. Uh, Roxane Gay, who's an incredible writer, has a huge following, f- heavily published. Like she got nothing for her books, you know, um, until the royalties started coming in because she made she sold so many copies. But the advance, like thirty thousand, like nothing. It's shocking. So you don't make a lot of money, money writing books, unfortunately.
0: Yes. And this this is actually, I ask because uh, I'm trying to get back into uh, writing, uh, but not, not academically. And uh, my, like, I spent like about a year looking into these things. And I realized, okay, look, the, all of the success stories, they're like all like young white guys, basically. Yeah. Um, I'm not young. I'm not white. So yeah. I might as well just write what I want to write and put it out there. Uh, you know, heck, even make it as a PDF and people can download it. If it's about just sort of passing on a message and knowledge,
1: I mean, you know, the book "Hillbilly Elegy." I've heard of it. Yeah, yeah, JD Vance. He wrote that came out around the same time as, like, maybe the year after Serial. Um, a very, a very slim volume, a kind of a memoir about him. He's an attorney from Yale, and but he grew up in like the West Virginia hills and comes from hillbilly country, and he wrote about that. So you know, he he, what was reported was that not only did he make seven figures on the book deal it was his first book but also that it was sold for in a seven figure deal to netflix you know whereas adnan got a five figure deal from hbo you know for his <laughs> but, you know it's shocking the disparity is shocking
0: are, are you considering writing more or is, is that experience enough for you
1: no i'm actually in the i mean the minute the book was published the publishers wanted more they're like we want another book for you because it did sell well. It had very good critical reviews and they thought I have an interesting voice. It just took me a while to figure out what I wanted to write about. Um, writing Adnan's book was one of the hardest things I've done in my life. It took so, so much out of me. Um, you, you cannot be wrong on the facts. You have to check everything. There's legal teams checking above you. It was just, it was really hard and I don't have it in me to do that for a few years at least. So I am in the, I, I did sell a second book last summer, like a proposal. Called bless Yeah, and I sold it for half of what Adnan's book sold for. So you can do the math yourself. Again, it's a labor of love. Um, and I'm working on it right now. I'm in the middle of writing it right now. And it's completely um, unrelated to criminal justice stuff. It's called, it's called Fatty fatty, Boom Boom. Uh, that was a childhood nickname of mine because I've had a lifelong um, struggle with weight. And so it's a memoir about food, fat, and family. And um,
0: I can't wait to dig in. And I know that you've you've always been uh, a proponent of of workouts, and um, not balance. always. <laughs> but like, I, you've you've inspired a- you've inspired a lot of us to you know to take that seriously. And I think we have a you know we have a shing, uh, culture in the Muslim culture, uh, unfortunately. Um, but we don't we, we rarely have a pathway forward. So I I look forward. Um, and that's going to be very interesting.
1: Um, it's, 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 it's not a heavy book. It's going to be much more in the kind of the spirit of like um, my big fat Greek wedding because, you know, my weight was the subject of concern of hundreds of my relatives. And so <laughs> growing up <when laughs> I was, I came with good and bad times, but there were a lot of laughs along the way too, and a lot of food along I the way.
0: To me, it was always that you just land in Cairo airport for the summer and you just wait. Oh my God, you've gained so much weight. You know, yeah. Oh, my God, what happened to your whatever? You know, oh, when my first son was born. Oh, he's so dark. Well, the next one will be light. (laughs) Oh, my God. But uh, one thing I want to tell you personally, without getting into the details, I've actually used your book, Adnan's Story, because there is a a dubious uh, Muslim figure from Baltimore whom you list in your book with with detail and references. And this person actually uh, came to our mosque.
1: Oh my God! Uh, yeah,
0: we oh, no. were approached by I, I. It was some kind of either some kind of legal team or FBI or or something like that. And I remember coming across him in, in your book, uh, so I quickly went back, found the resources, you know, brought it to the board's attention, and alhamdulillah, we were able to take care of things without any incident or anything like that. So uh, just for that, I want to say you know thank you and jazakallah. Oh wow! The, I mean, it is it has been a resource and it's on my shelf and thank I appreciate you. it.
1: Thank you for reading it. Because I'm, I'm fairly convinced most of my friends have not read my book, <laughs> but it's okay.
0: Well, you know, I'm a, book, I'm a book book, person, so it's just in my nature. And, and I, have, I have my signed edition that I'm sure one day we will auction off on eBay for, you know, triple what you made for it and we can put it to good use. But, but the last thing I wanted to ask you, Rabia, about the book,
1: yeah.
0: if you turn to the inside flap, uh, you have this dedication. Uh, I'm not going to read it all, but one of the things that really s- struck me uh, and, you know, might be a little bit very serious and I you know, don't mean to end on this type of note, but you say for Hay. And one of, the, one of the people that I often think about whenever I think about Adnan's story is Hay yeah. and her family. Uh, and what, the, you know, if we're saying that Adnan is innocent and we believe in that, well, where's her justice? Right. Where, where is her, you know, uh, youth that was, that was robbed from her family? And I wanted to ask why you included that and how you think about, about not just hay specifically, but the haze in in the work that you're doing. I mean, surely these people are in prison because somebody thinks they, they harmed somebody else. Okay, if they didn't harm these other people, which is you know very, very plausible knowing our legal system, where is justice for those for those people? Yeah,
1: you know, I think it's, it's um, because of the way this, this criminal justice system is set up, it's very adversarial. And I think it's very problematic because it, it pits victims' families against defendants. And justice means that the right person pays for whatever. Uh, You know the crime against the victim that's justice for everybody. That's justice for the innocent It's justice for the guilty. It's justice for the victim Um, but it's very hard for people to see it like that and understand it like that because when people say people have said Well, you advocate for Adnan. What about hey and I and what what what's confusing to me is that What they're again projecting that it's Adnan versus hey, it's not We are all on the same side and that the side is the truth and so um all of these victims and they're the ones who are not going to have You know, honestly the family has been victim in these cases where you have innocent defendants The families of the victims have continued to be victimized by the state that refuses to do the right thing so justice for um Adnan is inherently justice for hay and vice versa and that is true in all of these um innocence cases so at the end of the day if I can prove who killed Hay, I will get justice for Adnan. And Hay will finally have justice and her family will have justice. And there's, these things are not opposing ideas. They are all exactly 100% aligned. And that's why um, she is absolutely part of that work. I have, I have dreamt about Hay. Sometimes I've talked to Hay, <laughs> hoping to respond. Um, she's very much a part of this, um, you know. Have have
0: you had any interactions with her family?
1: No, we haven't. And we would be, I was, I am always open to speaking to the family and the community, but I would never reach out because that would be, it would be problematic in lots of different ways, but also you don't want to make them feel harassed or scared or anything. You don't, it's, it could be really, it could just really hurt. It could be hard on them. So, but we, our doors are open for any time. They want to talk, look at the evidence, um, any questions they have you know we 've been open, but we haven 't and that happens on purpose because the prosecutor the state remains involved. the state will talk to the family, the state will say the family has a statement the state keeps them away from talking to um, the defend defendant's advocates and so it 's a set up that way
0: so that 's that 's sad i mean when you say it 's adversarial i mean that's uh, i guess that 's the heart of the problem right is that the 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 mechanics of the system are just, they need to change. It's not just a bill here and a bill there. It's, it's the way the system is set up. Yeah. Um, well, well, Rabia, uh, thank you. I, I mean, I've, I've been really looking forward to doing this for a long time. So thank you for agreeing. I know you're super busy. Uh, what I like to do is just ask my guests uh, if there's anything they'd like to leave us with, a thought, advice, a quote. Um, you know, anything that's on your mind, it could be completely silly and unrelated or it could be completely serious, but uh, just to leave us with something so we can, you know, take that forward and, and, and think about it.
1: Gosh, um, that's such a wide open question. <laughs> I guess if it, if your primary interest in me is is Adnan's case, what I would uh, really advise and, and highly suggest is to check out some of the other cases we've covered on Undisclosed, especially the long seasons. Uh, because I think what what people who don't understand the system uh, don't understand how any of this works is, and I was one of them, uh, is that they often say, "Well, how can everybody get it wrong? How can the cops get it wrong, and the prosecutors wrong, get it wrong, and the juries get it wrong? And how can this even happen? It's not possible in America, in a place like America." Um, and I want to, I want people to understand how it's not just possible; it happens over and over again. It happens every single day, and you don't realize that until you hear the stories, um, and you are shocked. <laughs> at them and you see all the similarities because you will understand a Don story better when you hear the other stories. They're all so similar. So that's the one thing I would ask for people to um, to go and just educate yourself a little more about um, what people are experiencing uh, in this system.
0: Right, we will do that. Uh, once again, Rabia, thank you very much. Uh, I wish you the best, me. I hope you stay safe and I hope we can continue the conversation Sometime in the future, inshallah.
1: Hopefully with, with good news next time we talk.
0: I hope so, inshallah. Praying thanks for that.
1: Thanks so much, Arik. Appreciate it.
0: Take care. Salaam, welcome. Welcome salam. One more thing before you tune out. To help me stay focused and manage all the things I'm doing, I put together a weekly email called Friday Ruminations that highlights what I'm reading, working on, and thinking in four focus areas. Happiness, entrepreneurship, books, and Islam. If you'd like to receive these emails, which are 100% free, please go to makingsenseofislam.com forward slash Friday to sign up.